We are glad you guys are joining us today. For those of you who are joining us online, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are working through the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew. If you don't, we're going to have everything right here on the screen. You can follow along here on the screen. So quick survey. Um, if you're online, you can comment online. Um, uh, but here, here's a quick survey. How many of you guys are rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs today? How many of you guys know there's a thing going on today called the Super Bowl? Okay, so how many, Kansas City Chiefs, okay, okay we got a couple. How many, how many people are rooting for uh, Tom Brady to win his seventh along with the team he plays for? Okay, how many of you guys are still rooting for the Seahawks? <laughs> Hashtag let Russ cook. Too soon? Um, that's okay. I, I, you know, um, I was telling someone between services, uh, there's a phrase that has not been said in the 21st century, and that is, the Dallas Cowboys are in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and as a Cowboys fan, that's just the way it is. Hey, uh, so Matthew 14. So Matthew 14 is a, gr I love Matthew. Matthew 14 basically as a chapter has this message that is just this. Jesus does amazing things. Amen? Amen? Jesus does amazing things. Last two weeks, we've been looking at this story about Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. You remember? He takes five loaves and two fish, and he breaks them. Uh, well, he raises them to heaven, and he breaks them, and he blesses them, and he passes them out through his disciples, feeds thousands of people. And Matthew wants us to know Jesus does amazing things. And and we're going to see it again today, that Jesus does amazing things. Now, a lot of times when you're reading through Scripture, it's hard to keep track of kind of the time of how things are moving and how things are going, because um, sometimes, like if you're reading through the book of Exodus, things, there'll be an event that'll occur, and then like the next verse, it'll be like a decade or decades later. And so we, we can kind of lose sense of how long it took for the people to wait for God to do this. But sometimes we lose how quick things are happening. And especially when we as a church are kind of going verse by verse through the book of Matthew, we, we spent the last two weeks looking at this story, the feeding the 5,000, and sometimes we can miss the pace of what's happening. So, so I want you to look, I even highlighted it right here, verse 22. This is where we're going to start, Matthew 14, verse 22. Look at the first word that Matthew says, this is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000, okay? It says this, immediately, immediately, immediately afterwards, immediately. So just think about the moment and, and what's going on in the disciples, right? They just were the hands that distributed and fed thousands of people. It says immediately afterwards, he being Jesus, compelled the disciples to get into the boat and to go ahead of him to the other side. You, you would read if you read through the whole chapter that Jesus goes up on the hill to pray. While he sent the crowds away. Can you imagine the buzz on that boat? Right? The boat was probably not much bigger than this section of stage that I stand on, maybe another four or five feet. And it wasn't much wider, maybe a couple feet wider. And, and there would have been well over a dozen people in this one boat. And just the buzz and the energy and the excitement of, did you see? I know. I mean, I just kept going back and I get another basket. And, and there was more. And then I turn around and there was more. And then I gave them this one family. And there were a lot of people and they were good eaters. And then I turn around and there were more. Right? Can you imagine the buzz going on? And Jesus, uh, Matthew's going to tell us a story about Jesus that, that pivots 
on five words in Greek. Five words in Greek. The story is going to tell us the whole thing. There's about 90 words, a little more than 90 words in Greek, before these five words Jesus is going to say. And there are about a little over 90 Greek words after. This whole story pivots on five words that actually contain two commands and one statement. So it says this, Matthew 14, it says this, the boat, this is verse uh, 24, right? Verse 24, if you're following along, the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the water. Pause right there. Matthew wants us to know Jesus is Walking on water, but Jesus does amazing things, right? That's what Matthew 14, it's you, you write at the top of Matthew 14, Jesus does amazing things. Unless you've walked on water, that's a pretty amazing thing. Jesus went to them walking on the water, and then it goes on, it says this. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Can we all agree that is probably an understatement? It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Uh, this word here could easily be translated as terror or panic, right? Jesus puts them in a boat and pushes them out as the sun is setting out. And don't miss this. Oh, this is so good. We don't have time, to this. We don't have time for this in the sermon, but, but just don't miss this. Jesus puts them in a boat and pushes them out in the pur purposefully in the pathway of a storm. Do you know that? Sometimes, sometimes Jesus is going to put you in the boat and he's going to shove you out in the way of an impending storm coming. And he's still good because he wants you to see something. He wants you to see he's amazing and he does amazing things. Now, if you've ever been out on the water at night, it's a creepy place anyways. Um, a couple years back, we were uh, vacationing as a family in Lake Shasta, Northern California, if you've ever been there, um, there's about a million houseboats every summer out on the lake. And my in-laws flew in from their country in Missouri um, to our country to come vacation because they knew that this was the promised land. And so they came this direction and um, they were staying with us on the houseboat. And then their flight was leaving the day that we were to check in the houseboat. Their flight was leaving super early in the morning. So they had gotten a hotel so that um, they could stay the night in the hotel and then fly out the next morning. And so my wife and I drove them into the harbor uh, in my dad's boat, and we drove them in the harbor, and we went with them, and we went and had dinner, got checked in the hotel, and then we're going to come back. To be honest, the real reason we went with them is because we could get a hot shower, and if you've ever been on a houseboat, personal hygiene is not a top priority when you're on a houseboat. And so we got a shower, we got changed, all that kind of stuff. We get back, we come back down, and we go to get in the boat, and we go to head back. There's one major difference between when we drove the boat there and when we went to go back to the houseboat, and that was um, that as as my son would say, the sun had gone to China, right? We drove in at four o'clock in the afternoon. It was sunny. It was easy. You drive, you come screaming right in, and we went to go back, and it's pitch black. Now, luckily, my dad's boat had a GPS, and we'd marked off our path, but we literally, at five miles an hour, just followed that little green line, wherever it said, right? Because it's so, if you've ever been on the water at night, it's so disorienting, you can't tell where you are. You can't tell how far away things are. All you can is in the dark. You just see shadows and you just hear the slapping of the water on the side of the boat, right? Now, the disciples didn't even have like GPS or lights. And, and the, the disciples didn't even have a moon. There's a storm going on. 
It's just pitch black, and all they can hear is the, the, the water smashing against the side of the boat, and the water crashing into the boat, and the wind blowing, and the chaos of the storm. And then all of a sudden, if it couldn't get worse, they begin to see a ghost walking on the water. Now, it might be weird for us to see something walking on the water and assume that it's a ghost, but for them, it was actually a part of their cultural understanding of what happened. Um, in Jesus' day, common to the Middle Eastern culture, not just uh, Jews, but to the Middle Eastern culture, was this belief in um, uh, this thing that they call the, uh, I had this memorized and then I just lost it. Uh, here, let me give it to you because it's important. You guys are going to, Lillen, there we go, Lillen. They had this belief in this thing they called lilins because what they believed was that if someone died at sea, they could never go into the afterlife, whatever their belief of an afterlife was. They could never transition to an afterlife and they were bound to stay in the prison of the sea, right? And, and, and every night they believed these lilins, or literally translate just means night spirits, these night spirits would wander across the top of the seas looking for victims that they could grab and drag down to their own demise. <laughs> Isn't that creepy? It's just creepy saying it out loud. And there were cultures who have had different relationships with the sea over the years. You can think of uh, the Vikings, right? Conquered the sea you can think of like a, the Portuguese, the, the great discoverers, navigated all around the world. They just did it in more tights than the Vikings did. And all discovered, the Jews were a lot like most other cultures, where the sea was a great gift and a great supplier, but also a very unpredictable tormentor. And they find themselves out in the sea in a storm, terrified, and then they see what they believe to be this ghost coming to drown them. Coming to drown them. And Jesus says five words, two commands, and one statement that changes everything. The first one, it says this. If you want to see it in Greek, the five words are actually these words. It says this in Greek. But the first word that Jesus says, it's one word in Greek, but because of tenses and the way they did all their kind of stuff, we can't really translate it as one word. So the way we would translate it is this word, is be courageous. Be courageous. Be courageous. I don't know if you know this, but courage is actually an in here thing. Courage isn't about what's going on around you. Courage is about, in here, courage is about moving and being decisive because you have a confidence in your purpose, in your call, or in your position. Courage kind of looks like this. I don't know, maybe you've heard this story before. I'm going to share it again because I really love it. It's um, a supposed transcript between an um, a, a, a American naval fleet and, and Canadians, Right? And it was apparently recorded in October of 1995, and uh, uh, he, here's what the transcript says. You ready? The American Naval Fleet says this, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The Canadians respond, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The Americans this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. And the Canadians, now a little bit annoyed. Now I say again, you divert your course. The Americans, 
This is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vehicles. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That is one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be taken to ensure the safety of this ship. The Canadians respond, this is a lighthouse. Your call. Right? Now, what you, when you hear the story, what you, hear, what you think you hear is, is, is a boldness, right? Stand up against the second largest naval fleet in the Atlantic, one of the greatest naval fleets to ever set sail. You think you see a boldness, but actually what you see is courage because of a resoluteness in their position. Because you know what the lighthouse knew? They knew that they were standing on solid rock. You see, courage is about moving, about acting in unpredictable circumstances because of an unwavering confidence in unchanging conditions. It's moving in unpredictable circumstances because of an unwavering confidence in unchanging circumstances. It's an in here thing. It's, it's a confidence in here thing. And Jesus calls his disciples when they're out on the sea and they're terrified to be courageous, to know that it is Jesus who put his disciples in the boat and pushed them out into the sea. But not only that, he doesn't just say be courageous. He has another command. Remember, two commands, one statement. Second command says this. First one says be courageous. Second one says do not fear. Now you can see it's actually two words in Greek. This word here is where we get the word phobia. Phobia at its root, it actually means um, like to quake or, or to flee, right? And, and this word here just means no. And so it would be really awkward to say no fear, no quake, no flee. So we make it into three words. I mean, I guess we could make it, we could say don't fear, right? So it'd be the same thing. But, but here's the thing about fear. Here's the thing about fear. Fear is always our response to things out there. Fear, fear is about things that go bump in the night or spirits and ghosts that wander on the surface of the water or, or the economy or your job or your future. Fear is our reaction to things out there, things that often we have very little or no control of. Fear for the disciples looked like the crashing waves and the wind and the storm and the ghosts now walking on the water. But Jesus calls his disciples to be courageous, to be fearless. Now, now here's the problem, okay? Apart from, which we're not going to do yet, but apart from this statement right here, it's just a, it's a mockery of the fragility of humanity. Like they're out on a storm. They're, they're in a tiny boat that's taking on water. There's what they think to be a ghost or something unknown out there. There's a lot of things to be afraid of. I mean, isn't it fair? Sometimes we like to chide the disciples. We like to be like, come on. Come on, guys, didn't you know? And in fact, Jesus is going to say later, um, in, in another recording, in another biography, in another gospel, he's going to say, didn't, don't you yet know? Don't you see? Don't you understand what I'm doing? Ye of little faith. 
And it's easy for us to chide the disciples' lack of faith or their fear when we stand on firm and dry beach ground. But, but, what, but what happens when um, in the mail, instead of like a really big, thick packet, and you open it up and the first page has a letterhead and it says, we are pleased to inform you that you've been accepted. What if instead the thing you get in the mail is just one little envelope with one piece of paper folded up and it says uh, this instead, we regret to inform you. Do you stand fearless then? What, 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 happens, what happens when um, you get an email or a phone call, a really quick phone call from a nurse or a receptionist, or maybe your uh, doctor has like an app and you can kind of keep track of things, and, and you get this notice and it pops up and it says, uh, your test results are negative. What happens when instead you get a call from the receptionist and she says, uh, hey, the doctor would like to schedule an appointment to come discuss your test results? Do we stand courageous and fearless? What happens when you hear the words, we think we're going to go a different direction? Or, or what happens when you see the words written out and it says insufficient funds, card declined? Maybe the worst, converse, worst sentence that ever can be said in a relationship. What, what when someone says, um, we need to chat? Do you stand courageous? and fearless in that moment. Because you see, um, it's easy to be courageous and fearless when we believe we have the power to endure the things that face us. But what happens when a roaring sea seeks to drown you? What happens when the things of this life become too much? And if this is all Jesus said, it would be a mockery of our humanity. But he doesn't. And he, neither does he stand on the shore, neither does he stand on the shore and yell to him, come on disciples! Be brave. Dig in. You got it. Push yourself. He doesn't. He says two commands sandwiched around one statement that changes everything. In the Greek, it says this. In the Greek, it says ego me. We translate it this way. I am. A lot of Commentators have said that in this context, a perfectly good translation that I think is the most poignant to what Jesus is trying to say to the disciples would be to say something like this, I'm here. Be courageous, be fearless, not because you're amazing, not because you can handle it, not because you're strong enough, because if you haven't yet experienced a season where you're not, it's coming for you. And for many of us, we find ourselves in this moment in a season where we feel weak and cowardice and we feel like the disciples where there's so many things going on in our world and around us and, and we just want to cower into the bottom of the boat, afraid of the waves that are crashing over and feeling like they're going to consume us. But Jesus' words to you today, I believe, would be the same that he says to the disciples who find themselves in the storm, remember, that Jesus pushed them into. Be courageous, be fearless, for I am here. It changes everything. It changes everything. Wherever you are, 
whether you're in this room, whether you're in your living room, in a car, in days that will come, whether you're with a group or you're alone, Jesus wants you to know that where you are, I am here. It's the good news, it's the promise, it's the hope that we find all throughout the scriptures. We see it in, in verses all, it's beginning in the Old Testament. We, we see uh, 2 Kings 6, 16. Look, look at what he says. And he said, do not be afraid, be fearless. For those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. I am here. Psalm 56, 9, then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. He is with me. Psalm 118, 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not be afraid. <laughs> what can a man do? I am here. Isaiah 41, 10, do not fear for I am with you. Look at this promise over and over and over and over again. God wants you to know this truth. I am here. Wherever you are, I am here. It changes everything. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will also help you. I will also uphold you with my righteous right hand. Matthew 28 Jesus' last words in the book of Matthew, his departing words to us, he says this, the thing he wants us to remember as he leaves this earth and returns to his father, he wants us to know this, surely I am with you. The greatest gift that we can receive from our God is his presence. And today, wherever you are, whatever is going on in your life, whatever storms are facing you, whatever seems insurmountable, whatever seems terrifying, God wants you to know this. I am with you. We see it all throughout Scripture. Uh, there's more verses. It says this in Hebrews 13, 5. God has said, I love this, right? Just the simplicity, right? A child can understand this. God has said, never will I leave you. Now here, I, I looked it up in the Greek. Um, the book of Hebrews is written to the, 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 the Jewish followers of Jesus all throughout the Middle East. And um, uh, in Greek, in Koine Greek, I looked it up and you know what that word never means? Never. As in like not ever. That's why it's never. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never, Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? I am here. Today, many of us find ourselves in the midst of a storm that seems like it's going to crush us, that seems too weighty to bear that seems too painful and hard to navigate, and now maybe even more threats seem to be arising as what looks like some ghost is, is, is arising out on the horizon. But Jesus says to us, be courageous, be fearless, not because you're impressive, not because you're mighty, not because you're good, not because, not because there's not brokenness in this world, not because there aren't things that you are going to weep over and ache over, but because in the midst of all those things, I am here. John, he, he writes another book 
besides the gospel called 1 John. And, and I love, this is towards the end of 1 John. I, I love this, and I want to end with this for you today. Maybe you could memorize this, know this. It says this, little children. H- how beautiful is that? Can we just for a moment, can we just, like this is how God sees us. Little children. And you know why I love that? You know why I love that? Because sometimes adulting's hard. Isn't it? Nobody told you when you were growing up and you're like, I'm going to be an adult and then I can do what I want. And then they're like, no, you can be an adult and you can pay taxes and bills. And you can navigate really hard things in life. But I just love, like, I am with you, you right? That sounds like something that a dad would say. In the midst of the pain and the heartache. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Come here, daddy's here. And John captures the same thing, little children. Come here, come here, come here, come here, little children. Come here, come here, just remember this. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I am with you. That wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, whatever heartache and whatever pain and whatever fear and whatever waves are crashing in, God wants you to know this single truth, no matter what you've done or where you're going or who you are or what you're involved in with right now, that I am here. So be courageous. Be fearless. The things he's calling you to, be courageous. Be fearless because you know what? Be courageous because you know that you stand on the rock just as the Canadians did. Be fearless because you know that the one who walks with you will crush anyone who stands against you. Scripture tells us that there is is an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion, but it also tells us that his very word, every knee will bow, that he will crush them down to their knees in submission to him. That he who is with you is greater than he who is in the world. So little children, dear children, Be courageous, be fearless, for he is with you.